Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Reclaim Me. My name is Madeline Heather and today I'm joined by a wonderful guest from the other side of the world in England. Hello, I'm Harry. Thank you for joining me, Harry. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Um, Harry, could you start off by giving me a little bit of a background um, about yourself? Uh, Yeah, so I'm uh originally from England, stayed in England, never moved. I only want to go on holiday. Um, I was born in a small town called Dunstable, which is just outside of London. Um, London is where I currently reside and have been kind of finding myself in a way, um, because coming from a small town, um, there's kind of a lot of You go through a lot of changes with yourself, like trying to understand your sexuality, which I guess is kind of hard to do when you're around not a much diverse group of people. So, yeah, so I moved to London to kind of, I think, in some ways reinvent myself um, because I used to be a bit of a conservative. And now that's completely been demolished. And I could say I'm probably more of a progressive now or a liberal in some ways. Wonderful. That's so good to hear. It's actually a little bit confusing um, in Australia. I I personally always get confused because in Australia, our Labour Party is left-wing and our Liberal Party is right-wing. So when people say liberal, I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess it, I guess like from different parts of the world, it is different in that kind of sense, but at least in England, it's very much conservatives are right and then liberal and labor are left. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a journey for me because I was raised in a very conservative town. I went to a conservative university um, and had like all this ideology of the world that I wanted the world to be perfect looking. And there's a lot of things I didn't really accept. I didn't want to accept. Um, but then moving to London, that completely changed when um, I've got a new group of friends and everything I once believed just kind of dissolved and made way for more progressive and new ideas and ways of thinking. 
That's so wonderful. So how long ago did you move to to London? Um, I moved to London, it's coming up now two years. Um, but before that, it was always a case that I was in London every weekend, I think for about two, three years before that. Um, so I would, because I moved out of my family home probably about three, four years ago, I moved to a town close to Heathrow Airport, which is one of our major airports, um, just for work purposes. And then mostly on a Friday, I'll come into London and stay with a couple of friends and then go home either Sunday evening or Monday morning. Yeah, make the most of the London kind of nightlife and go out with your mates and stuff. Exactly. And it was kind of like a very slow transition into perhaps moving to London. So if I was there for a couple of years, just like half the time, then once I moved into London, it was very much, oh, this is no different. Because when I did move to London, everyone was like, oh my God, how's London treating you? I'm like, it's no different. I know my way around London. I know how to deal with London. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah, you've spent a lot of time there. (laughs) That's really great. So what were your interests and in everything before you moved to to London? I mean, did, were you into sport? Were you into, um, um, yeah, any hobbies? Or I think most of my interests have always remained the same. Um, I like going to the gym. I do enjoy the great outdoors, though you can't get that as much in London, but I do enjoy putting on some wellies and go stomping through the countryside. Um, I was an interior architecture student, so I do have um, – a very very soft spot for um design and architecture and being a bit of an amateur photographer um so most of the time I do like just going around london when we went in lockdown of course and just kind of taking pictures of new architecture and new design um just trying to keep the juices flowing because i might revisit that um at some point and maybe start to do some freelance work yeah that's that's amazing um it's it's really cool because a lot of those are hobbies that you can take with you kind of no matter where you go. Yeah, and the thing like wherever you go, you kind of just add to that because like, you know, being interested in the design and architecture here, it would be probably very different to what it is in Australia. It would be very different if I went to India or Japan. So that's what always keeps you interested because you're always discovering new things and seeing new things. And even if you look into the more technical side of things, like there's different ways to do everything in this world. Yeah, that's so true. Um, so you are here to to share your survivor story as well. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about where you were um, when when this all started to happen? Yeah, so I mean, I guess I, I should start with the day. Um, so I was attending my first ever gay pride, which was London Pride. Um, and I guess like this was during the time when I was transitioning that political mindset from being a conservative to kind of being a more progressive liberal. Um, and I always had this idea like I didn't I didn't see the need for pride. Um, I think it was more the case. I It kind of it felt like then we separated ourselves from the rest of the world. Um, so well, no, I go to my first pride, get my actual opinion by experiencing it. Um so I think like we'd just been to this uh, venue in um, central London and then me and my best friend at the time thought we would leave there um, and we would start to head back to his because we were kind of like done with partying during the day. Um, yeah, wonderful. So was he close by as well? Yeah. So like we had remained together throughout the whole day and throughout the whole evening um, and I was like, he's when we get into the story, you can tell he is like kind of a big element to this story. 
Yeah, definitely. So you had to travel back to his place. Was that a long journey or is was he living around the corner? No. So funny enough, it happens to be where I'm living now. Um, and so because everything was jam-packed and normally for Pride, it's just a nightmare to use um buses or tube so we decided to walk back from central and we have to go down past um westminster the the parliament building um across the thames and remember at one point we did decide to get a boris bike if you know what they are no what's a boris bike boris is like um it's named after who is now our prime minister but it's just like one of those pay-as-you-go bikes that you can kind of take from one um, deposit and then you just drop it off at the nearest deposit of wherever you need to get to oh yeah, yeah yeah no we've got them here as well but you can kind of here you can drop them off anywhere i think they're called o bikes and they'll get picked up and taken anywhere but no i know what you mean so you can just go in there's like a bank of helmets and a bank of bikes and you can just kind of pay as you go well we've only got the bikes no helmets um but yeah so, so I remember one at halfway through the trip we decided to get one of those because we were just like messing about and I think I was trying to come remember if we were trying to saddle each other or at least one of us sit on the handlebars but eventually we got um to his close to his home and then we like we put the bike back um and then we got to his and we just decided that you know we would just chill and you know wind down from the whole day yeah, so I can imagine your ears would have been ringing and you would have been full of so much adrenaline from such a big day. Yeah, and obviously everything that else goes on, um, you know, all the type of narcotics, alcohol, everything just like flowing in you. But, you know, I was still fine. I was cognitive, um, still had my bearings with me. Um, so I remember when I got to his, we were chilling. Then I, I remember I picked up a book I was reading at the time and I thought, you know, let me just go to the toilet. And I remember I started reading the book. Um, and there must have been a couple of minutes and my best friend came and he like banged on the door and said, like, oh, come on, um, get yourself together. We're going to head out to this guy's um, who's having a chill out. Um, if you know what a chill out is. Please explain, because I think my version of a chill out is probably different to your version <laughs> of a chill out. <laughs> uh, so in, I say probably in, in the gay world, a chill out is normally a sex party um, where a lot of mannerism of things can go on. Um, so at the time I was very apprehensive because I'm like I don't you know I, I've only just started to step into this world of the gay life in London I don't know if I want to be in the chill out so I did like question like you know what kind of chill out is it it's going to be a chill out like that or is it going to be we're just going to chill out um, and he said like no we're just going to chill out have some drinks and you know just have a good time I'm like okay I can I can deal with that I'm fine with that um, yeah, maybe if something happens with somebody or something, maybe that would be fine. But I'm going there under the pretense that I'm just going to have a couple of drinks and actually chill out. Yeah, that was it. Like, uh, I don't mind just having a bit of a chill one, have a couple of drinks, have some laughs and just keep it at that, keep it calm. Um, so we left his and then um, the guy whose apartment it was, it literally is just down the road from where I live now. Um, so we walked there, I think it's about five maybe seven minute walk um so when we do get there um like it's a really nice apartment um and I, obviously the drinks start to flow and then we're just like we're chilling um talking just talking about like you know what we do what we get up to what has our day been like how did we think pride had gone um and then it got to a point where um 
the host said, like, you know, would we want any G, which is GHB, if you know what that is. Yeah. Um, so I'd never tried it before. I was like, well, I, I've never had this. What is it like? And I was like, oh, well, it's just like this type of drink that kind is a drug that just kind of makes you, you know, just feel differently. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. There's, there was only, I think, I think he was the only person there. I can't remember if there was another person who had arrived just yet, but I think at the time it was just the three of us. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. I can cope with that. <clears throat> Um, so I had my first GHB experience, um, and then everything just continued as normal, like, you know, talking, I think we started to dance a little bit. And then at one point I decided to call one of my friends, um, and we had like a bit of a chat and I just said like, you know, where are you this evening? Um, cause I might come and meet you. I'm just like at, um, this person's house with so-and-so, um, so then I got off the phone to him and then went back into the room and then I was given another shot of GHB because that time it'd been an hour, so you can kind of take it in hour intervals. Okay. And it can be quite dangerous, can't it? But you're just taking like a tiny little bit at yeah, a time, so, right? Yeah. So if you take a small amount at a time, then it's fine. Um, so then I took the second shot and then I, I don't know what, I felt, but I felt that I wanted to kind of take a preemptive strike in a way with what I was doing. So I started texting all my friends just to find out where people are, get a gauge of where I can find people. I'm like, okay, well, I'm just, same thing I said to my friend on the phone, I'm just at someone's apartment. Where are you all? Because I'm going to come and meet you and we can go and do whatever. Um, Yeah, you kind of maybe just feeling like you wanted to change the scenery a little bit or did you feel uncomfortable or... I don't know what it was. Not that I felt uncomfortable. I just, I think that was part of me, like, I don't want, I don't ever want to be in an environment where this can change. Um, So I think I just wanted to get my bearings so I knew I had, if I wanted to leave and just leave my best friend there, then I kind of had a directive of where to go. Um, But then at that point, not just leave and. Yeah, not yeah. just leave and just be like aimlessly going like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do now because I don't have a key to get back into my best friend's place. But I thought like, if I just have a thing that, yeah, I'm going to leave now and go into Central, then like, you know, I have something deliberate to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, So then at that point I had my second shot and I think this is where there was a bit of confusion because my best friend came in and said like, you know, I'll give him another 1.5. Um, and then I was like, I think he's already had one. And I think if I'm in the confusion, I don't know. I don't know if this was like a subconscious self-sabotage, but I was like, I don't know if I've had one. And they asked me, like, you know, did the last one you take, did it taste bitter? I'm like, I can't remember it did. And I was like, oh, you most likely didn't have another one. So they gave me another one. And I think this is kind of where things will then skew for the worst. Um, because then it is obvious that I did have another one and that instead of taking 1.5 I took three mil yeah which can be so like the dosage is so um it's quite strict and you're dealing with such small doses so anything above the Mm. the amount you're supposed to have um that can be quite impactful on your state of mind and consciousness and everything is that right Absolutely. And obviously this is the first time I'm I'm dealing with this kind of substance. So my body has like no tolerance for it. It doesn't know what it is. Um 
so after we've done that, I think me and my best friend, we've always had this relationship um, where it's very multifaceted, like, you know, we're best friends, but it's also physical. It's also love there. And there has been romance. So I think you know, what we are taking at that time, you know, it lowered our inhibitions. And that's when we started we started kissing each other and touching each other as is normal in our relationship. Um, and then this is where we started to remove our clothes because everything is starting to go really fast. And I remember as we were kissing, I felt my stomach lurch and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to be sick. Um, so I remember saying to him, like, you know, can we go to the bathroom because I remember in my head I need to be near a sink or a toilet because I'm going to vomit yeah oh no so you're starting to just get that creep up feeling I mean I've had it when I've drank before as well where you're like I'm I'm okay now but I feel that I'm a I'm on the edge of vomiting yeah. now yeah so I can feel like my stomach is starting to squirm I can feel my mouth is starting to fill with saliva I'm like yeah I'm, I'm going to vomit so while I've got the head, let me just get towards wherever the toilet is at the worst, the sink. Um, so we make it to the bathroom, and I think this is where the host is as well. And we're still kissing, we're kissing, and I get to the point like, okay, can we stop for a moment because I'm going to vomit now. So I lift up the toilet seat, vomited, felt fine. So I thought, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe I just need that one vomit and I can carry on. Yeah, so the power truck. Yeah, power truck. Um, so then I go to continue, and then I feel more is about to come up. I'm like, okay, so this is not going to be one off. And then it goes to mind, like, okay, I'm in for a long haul here. Um, so then I continuously keep vomiting, and then that's when I start to swear, I start to shake, like my stomach is really hurting. Um, so like, there's a whole episode in the bathroom, and I think at one point, I don't know what I was looking for. I think I was just looking. I think I just got desperate, like I was looking for something to stop. Um, and accidentally like pulled on the host's um toiletry cabinet and remember like everything just fell out on top of me. I'm like, oh, this is a disaster. Um oh, no. so in the process of like what they call G and L, I'm like trying to vomit, but then I'm trying to tidy up all of the toiletries I've knocked out, they're like all over the sink, all over the floor. Um so I managed to like put everything back to the way it was. And then at this point, I thought, no, I'm just going to get in the bathtub and just lie here and just be a mess. Um, yeah. And what, what, were your, um, what was your best mate and the host doing at that time? Like, were they in there with you or helping you or? I think at one point for a short period, I told them, like, can you just come like get out and leave me for a moment to kind of get myself together? Um, and I think like by the time I put myself in the bathtub, I think it was my best friend who then came in. Um, and I think I remember the host telling him to um, hose me down with the hose. Like it might make me feel better. Um, and I think he also bought me a glass of juice. Because I remember them saying like, you know, juice can kind of sometimes help with the symptoms and can help alleviate it. Um, so I drank that and then my best friend was hosing me down and then I eventually managed to get to what I assume was the host's bedroom um and so I got on the bed and this is where it's this part starts to get a bit hazy but the only part I do remember is that I was vomiting into something 
So I think I was vomiting into a blanket that was like in a bowl. So I, I remember that as much. Yeah, so you can you know the feeling and kind of a sense of where you were, but not the exact step by step moments in it. Yeah, um, so that's that's the only clear that I remember, and then <clears throat> there it just goes to dark. Like, so I must have either lied down to go to sleep, or I must have passed out. Um, and so the next thing I remember after that is that I woke up and I remember the room was dark. And I was on my back and I had who was the host. He was kind of on top of me to a degree. Um, like on top of your the front of your body? Yeah, just, just on top of me. And I think like by me waking up, I must have like nudged him. And then he woke up as well and he decided, he started kissing me. So I was kind of half kissing him back it was just kind of it was kind of like as if my body was in some sense it just went on autopilot so it was just reacting with what was happening to it yeah like without being consciously aware really of what's happening your brain hasn't had a chance to catch up and you know say that this is you want to kiss or anything you're just instinctively kind of coming out of this um potential like overdose of g and you're kind of coming to consciousness again um, yeah. I really, I've, I've had that feeling before with somebody kissing me when I've woken up from being quite drunk. Um, and I've had that before. And then I've kind of, it's taken me like a minute to come almost to and realize what's going on and being like, Oh, get, please don't do that. <laughs> you know? So I feel that I understand that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very much like that. And I think it's because like you're feeling kind of lethargic, you're kind of tired, you feel drained. So it's kind of like, I just rolled with the punch for the moment um and then yes and i remember he we continued to kiss a bit i was kind of half in it half out but allowed it to continue um and i remember to i looked to the side of me and i saw that there was another person kind of bent over on the bed but they're kind of hanging off the end of the bed but they were asleep but the only thing i could see was the top of their head and the top of their shoulders and so to okay. me, so I was just like ah oh, that's my best friend I'm like let me get his attention because I just I don't want to deal with this right now I have no energy to physically move or verbally say anything let me see if I can just kind of get his attention <clears throat> and thought to myself like with my eyes indicate to him can you make this stop for me so I remember like I was trying to reach out to him. He was just slightly out of reach and I kept trying to like, wiggle closer just so my fingertips could get to the top of his head. Yeah. And I remember I started like tapping his head. I finally got to it and I started tapping it. And then he kind of, he didn't move or didn't motion. Um, and by this time the host had then decided to progress on like he was doing things with his mouth with his hands um and then he reached to the side <clears throat> to where there was a jar of vaseline um, right so obviously he got that to lubricate himself lubricate me um and that's when he started to penetrate me and then i started to question like is this something i I want to happen and 
I guess it was because I was also erect at the time that was throwing me off because in my head I was like, well, if you didn't want it, you wouldn't be erect. So maybe you do want it and your mind just needs to catch up with your body. Um, luckily, yeah, right. Because like understanding through a lot of stuff recently, I understand, you know, sometimes, you know, people who do get raped, like they can have orgasms, they can be erect. Sometimes it's just your body reacting. And um, by the time I didn't know this, I'm just like, okay, well, maybe you do want this to happen. Like your body's saying yes and your mind's saying no. So just go with it. Um, yeah. And I think like when you're coming um, out of like the state of drugs that you were in as well, like you've got this influx again of, um, of energy and hormones and you're waking up, you know, like I think a lot of men wake up with erections as well. So you're kind of on, there could be a number of reasons why, but it's interesting that you were trying to get your mind to kind of catch up with your body. Yeah, exactly that. And but then it's like my mind wouldn't catch up the whole time. I remember just kept thinking, like, I don't want this to happen. Like, I don't want to be here. Um, so by this time, I tried, again, to try and get this person's attention and, like, tapped him on the head. And he woke up. And it, to my horror in that moment, it wasn't my best friend. And I was just like, okay, so now I'm here with two strangers. And no one can save me from this and save me from myself um yeah so i think that's when i kind of just locked in for the long haul just like just carry on and build up your energy until you can actually do something yourself like up until a point i was i was just there i was floppy but i was just there um letting whatever unfold um because then at this point this guy had woken up and then he had started to kiss me um and then again like he then grabbed the vaseline and then lubricated my dick um and then started riding me so i was having this kind of duel like one person's going to be top of me the other person bottoming me um so i can't remember how long that went on for it wasn't for too long so about five or ten minutes and then i started to feel my body got its mobility back i've got my energy to like mm, i want to get up now um so i managed to like get up and get them off me and they stopped um which i can be thankful for like at least i didn't try to push anything any longer um and so i went in search of my phone because i couldn't find it which it was in the kitchen and i think my best friend before he'd left had put it on charge for me um so i went into right, so he was no longer there yeah i think i i'd kind of not having to ask i kind of realized he's not here like if he's not in this room with me he cannot be in the building so then i decided to text him just like where are you i've just woken up um feeling a bit out of it um and this went text me saying that he was at an address which was just down the road <clears throat> a bit from where we are um but still about a 10 minute walk yeah um so maybe it's not like you know, as i'm still trying to get my head together i'm trying to find my clothes the guy who was um the second guy who i managed to wake up and he come in saying like oh do you really have to go asking if we can do more like asking if he can um suck my dick make me come all this kind of stuff and i was like no i'm very much 
I'm very much over this whole experience. I just want to, I just want to leave. I just want to go. Yeah. You just want to get out of there, get to safety. So I do respect that, you know, he took my answer the first time. Um, so I didn't have to push too hard to kind of like, you know, let me get my things and just let me leave this place. So he let me go and then I'm walking down the road trying to find my best friend and I get to this house and you knock on the door and obviously some guy answers. He's a bit bewildered by why I'm there, but lets me in. Um, and when I come in, I realize that this is, you know, referring back to what we said, this is a chill out. There's about 20 to 30 men everywhere, all in jockstrapped underwear, naked. Um, so this, I imagine, must have been an after party pride, after party for the pride celebrations that went on. Yeah. And um, were they all still awake or were they like, was stuff yeah. happening when you walked in or? Yeah. yeah. Everyone was doing like people, some people were partying, some people were dancing, some people were drinking, others were having sex, others were doing a range of different things throughout the whole house. Um, so I just moved through the house, like going from room to room, trying to find um, my best friend, asking people like, do you know so-and-so, do you know so-and-so, have you seen this person? He looks like X, Y, Z. And I managed to find him in one of the bedrooms. Um but he was just like on his back, naked, just on his phone, while another two guys at the head of the bed were just doing whatever. And I was like, you know, can you get your stuff and can, can we go? So I kind of just want to be, I just want to be in a secure location right now. So where are your things? So he didn't know where his things were. So I had to like go through the house and all his clothes were spread throughout the house. Like his shoes were in another room, his shorts were in another room, his t-shirt were in another room. I was like, oh, this is not something I really want to deal with right now yeah it's a um, nightmare yeah and then like given the fact the environment i've just come from and now i'm here it's kind of it felt like added an insult to injury and again there's like another guy who then comes to me and says like you know oh do you have to take your friend away please let me let me just have five minutes with him let me suck a stick i'm like no he is coming with me and we are going home like i want to go oh, goodness um yeah. So again, like I'm very happy, like, you know, he, he relented quite quickly and I managed to get my best friend together and we left and we started to walk um, back to his, making a quick pit stop at, if I can remember, it was a takeaway shop where he wanted to get like some burger and some chips. Yeah. Um, so then I get home and it, I think this is, I don't quite remember what happened. I remember that he was just like very, he was very intoxicated, just being a bit wacky and eating his food and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think kind of that's when I began to try to water down the experience um, to try and pass out. I was like, oh my God, I got like completely wasted, had sex with two guys. How crazy. Yeah, like I woke up and, you know, you're trying to minimize it in your own mind maybe so that you don't actually have to deal with with what actually happened, which was sex without consent. Yeah, and I guess it's because it was in that moment, like I was trying like, you know, was it really how you thought it was? Like you, you were conscious, like you were conscious enough to remember and see everything. So if you were that conscious, you would have done something about it, like you would have said something sooner you would have acted sooner um and i guess it was well like they wasn't aggressive um 
like they were still handling me with care they were gentle and I guess that kind of confused me as well because it kind of at that point everything I knew about rape it was about aggressive forcefulness like you had no option but to take it there was nothing you could have done and I guess like myself having an erection in the moment as well there was just too much that was confusing me so I just kind of mitigated it as this was just a drunk experience everyone has one night stands yeah and I'm sure that like you would have felt awful and in your heart known that something wasn't right and you weren't happy about it but you're also kind of not blaming yourself but you're trying to come up with a reasoning for it to not be affecting you as much as maybe it internally is or subconsciously is yeah I guess it it was that to a degree and I guess in some sense like one of look as I'm a person who's had to deal with um depression suicidal thoughts and I've been to counseling and I've done therapy and both my therapists said the same thing to me just like you always seem to dismiss your struggle as if you would look for someone who is worse off than you so then you can kind of ignore what's going on in your head and I guess that's the same thing I did with that I realized it wasn't as aggressive it wasn't as volatile as the stories I would later begin to hear from people or things I've seen on tv so I was measuring my experience up against that okay well if it's not that then you don't get to use the word rape. You don't get to use the word sexual assault. Like you just had a drunken mistake. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I think in a lot of um, conversations that I've been having as well with with other survivors, even in circumstances where <coughs> consent has been withdrawn after consent was given, um, the the struggle in their minds after that was was so much. And even within my own experience of um, my sexual assault, I had this unwavering feeling like maybe because I drank, it was my fault. And, um, and because it isn't as cutthroat as like a stranger, you know, tackling you on the side of the road and and sexually assaulting you in a bush or something while you're screaming, because it didn't fit that mold of what my opinion was of what sexual assault is, then, then it's really hard to reconcile in your mind what happened. Yeah, that's exactly how it felt. Um, and like, even like, because like I got on this topic a lot, because I think I'm into the gay community, there were similar stories that kept coming out. And obviously, there's other stories that people who I became friends with, people I started dating, they were telling me you know, a range of stories. And even with the stories that were similar to mine, I mean, I'm kind of happy that the way I reacted to them was completely different to how I reacted to myself. So to them, I felt horrified for them I felt upset this has happened to them you know I supported them I believed them I said that they you know you can you have a right to feel this way if you feel that something wasn't right then you know something wasn't right but then it's kind of like when my story come up it's like oh yeah but I had that experience what about like no not you you can shut up and go away oh my goodness that's um it's actually like a common thing that I think people tell themselves as well and it's so heartbreaking to hear that, that like you would, you would personally hear somebody else's claims of a similar situation and you, but, and still you genuinely do believe it, but in context of yourself, you're kind of, you're struggling with that. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the only thing I'm thankful in that situation is that I didn't, because I know with a lot of people that has been the way where it's happened to them, they've heard it happen to someone else. And it's like, I was no big deal what you're worrying about. So I'm just happy that I wasn't part of 
that crowd and that my mind that my mindset when I heard other stories was you know that I was always on their side I'm like you know that is bad you shouldn't have to accept that if you can't get and I guess it's one of the things well like how how do you get justice because you can't I feel like it's also that thing like how do I get justice for this because I, I don't think there's much legal standing for it um so I guess like sometimes that's how you look at justice like oh justice has to be done through courts and if I feel like that can't happen, then just wipe the story away, just push it to the side. Yeah, and I think with a lot of sexual assault and a reason that a lot of people don't come come forward about it is because they don't believe that they do have a case um, or they do believe that maybe it'll just be a case of he said, she said, and then, you know, in your case specifically, you've been taking um, illegal drugs, you've been drinking, you've been at Pride. So, you know, I'm sure that, I'm not, I'm not sure, but, um, I know a lot of my friends, um, who are part of the LGBTIQA plus community would, um, have said before as well, that them being a part of that community is, is also a reason that they've found it difficult coming forwards because of the potential stigma that maybe authorities might have towards the situation. Yeah. Cause I feel in, I, I feel like, especially in the gay section of the community, it, there is very hyper sexuality like everything is always feels more 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 so there's a lot of things that do happen um that kind of like makes you feel like you know it is just what it is and you start believing in the concept like you know this is just a gay thing it's just a rite of passage it goes on um i mean like like over the years i've completely started to tackle that and make sure no this isn't just being part of gay life like this these things shouldn't happen to people a number of things shouldn't happen to people um but yeah i feel like in that sense it is hard to then go to authorities and say like this happened to me and like sometimes i think when i was thinking about this story in my head it kind of made me feel complicit like if i told the story it sounds like i'm complicit in the whole experience and it kind of feels like i gave consent because, you know, I didn't say no and I didn't do, I didn't react sooner. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Posting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, and I think it's an important part of consent that we discuss. Like, the absence of a no does not imply a yes in any way. So, you know, one, uh, there's a lady, um, I forget her name. I think she's in America and she's been trying to lobby really hard for, um, enthusiastic consent to be written into legislation. And I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where enthusiastic consent is going to be written into law. But I do think that that's the standard that we all need to hold ourselves to, regardless of our sexuality, that what we are, when we are having sex with somebody, whether it be um, a one night stand, whether it be an intimate partner, whether it be, you know, somebody that you've been married to for 35 years, that what you're actually after in that situation is enthusiastic consent. Because in an absence of that, you know, why would you even really want to have sex with the person if you're not sure whether they want to? Yeah, I mean, I guess that sometimes that goes down into there is a power thing that like some people enjoy um, that they've, you know, they've dominated you and you've submitted to them. Um, but I'm very much the same. Like I've always been very antsy about having sex with someone who's intoxicated. Um, so for me, like, you know, I've never really been one to have one night stands. If someone wants to come home with me after being at a club, I'm kind of like, mm, no, I'd rather meet you in sober times because I just don't want those blurred lines. Um, and I guess that's kind of, it's kind of what annoyed me about this whole experience. And was like, you know, these guys, they should have realized that, you know, you don't know me. I'm naked. I'm vulnerable. And at the time I must've been about, 25 26 like i'm young and you know you should have just taken care of me you should have like tried to put my clothes back on or at least just covered me with a blanket or a duvet to you know give me some dignity and you should have just looked after me absolutely and i think in the absence of of all of that it's just it's not respecting you and your autonomy as a person in any way and that's really that must've been horrific for you to also reconcile like those, those memories that you've got coming back into your mind being like, why didn't they do that? Like, or why did they do that? And they continue, like that must've been really difficult for you. It was like, I guess the, the hardest thing to reconcile with is that my best friend who is still my best friend and I still love him dearly that he, he left me, like you left me in an environment where, you know, I just, you know, I, I just overdosed on a drug that I'd never taken before. I was with two men that I didn't know. I was naked. I'm still coming to 
a lot of terms of my sexuality, I'm still coming to terms with the London scene and you left me. It's like I felt abandoned at that moment. And maybe I I can, you know, maybe he couldn't have foreseen these things from happening. And he was also <clears throat> to a degree intoxicated himself. So his lack of awareness probably wasn't there. But I guess that's the that's the most gut-wrenching thing is that you just you left me to these men and they did what they did and it's not like they were aggressive they were harsh and when I finally got the energy to be like no can you stop they did stop but you left me in an environment where certain things can happen that perhaps I didn't want to happen yeah definitely and I think regardless of it being aggressive or not like it's still damaging to your psyche damaging to your body and damaging to you as a person going through a sexual assault is is horrific for for a lot of people and, and coming to terms with that yourself is really difficult. And I remember even with my story, my friends left me there as well. And trying to grapple with that feeling of, um, the, you know, the anger that they'd abandoned me being drunk in a house, you know, and, and the perpetra- my perpetrator had already hit on somebody that was there as well. So I don't think they could foresee that what happened would happen either, but there is that level of you felt uncomfortable enough to leave and you knew the state that I was in. But then in my mind, I'm trying not to blame them because, you know, they, same situation, you know, they're intoxicated too. Um, they couldn't have foreseen it happening, but I think it's, it's not even just hindsight is 2020. I think you can still, not hold somebody responsible for what happened to you. Like in this instance, my friends, and in in that instance, your friend, but you, that doesn't negate the fact that it still really damages your heart and it hurts you to think about that. Yeah. Like it doesn't, you still, you still get that lump in your throat and, you know, one of my matches in the world, like, you know, no one is responsible for you. Like no one is here to look after you. But I think that's kind of where we measure our humanity, that even in the face of knowing that no one owes you anything, somebody does something. And I know for me, whenever I've been with a friend who's been intoxicated over, I stay with them. I'm like, okay, I want, and if I can, if they can be mobile, like I want to get them to a safe space and make sure they're okay and make sure they're away from other people. And I think like later that year, that did manifest um, when I did see this boy um, who was drunk out on a Halloween party um, in Bedford, which is my county town where my hometown is. And I remember my friend at the time, they got annoyed at me because I wouldn't leave him. I said, I'm not going to leave this guy just here. Like he is KO'd. He's not moving. He's not talking. I said, I'm going to stay with him until an ambulance comes. And my friend got annoyed at me. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. I said, I know what it's like to be abandoned in this position. I don't know. I can't see where his friends are. I don't know where they are. So I'd rather just wait with him until I can hand him over to medical professionals who would look after him. And obviously, I'm going to I was able to get into this guy's phone and message his mom and his sister, but like, oh, I've found your son. I've got his phone. I've handed him over to police with his phone and his things. This is the hospital he's going to. Oh, that's really good of you to do that. But I also, and I don't want to say that, I don't want to take away from what you did. That's an amazing thing. But I, in my mind, that's the bare minimum. And it's not even yeah. um, just in case something was to happen to him there in the sense of, you know, um, somebody taking him or hurting him, but in the sense of somebody that's that 
inebriated that they are unconscious you know they could vomit and choke on their own vomit there's so many things that could happen to them just from themselves and them not being able to be conscious so that's a really great thing that you did um and i'm glad that you were there for him and and allowed his family to go and see him as well it's a great job yeah, I mean, obviously, like, I don't want to slap on the back for it. I'm not a hero. I think, like I said, that's a minimum of what people should do. And obviously, I don't think his experience would have transpired in mine. But, you know, anyone could have come along, taken his phone, taken his shoes or what have you. Um, and I think in that moment, I probably went above and beyond just for a stranger. But I feel like, in a sense, that if that's your friend, then, you know, do stay with your friend, look after them, especially if you're the cognitive one. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of goes back to where people get angry at other people for being intoxicated when things happen. Like we've all been intoxicated before and we've all been that person that's accidentally had one too many and kind of, you know, had to have some help to kind of get home or something like that as well. So um, less shame, more action. Yeah. Just, you know, and it doesn't need to be a big deal, you know, just, just help people. It's not that hard. Yeah, I guess that's probably what I'm trying to focus on. Like, I'm not trying to focus on being angry at the two men or at my best friend. I want it to be an example of, like, you know, this is what can sometimes happen in those environments. And, like, you know, if you are the two guys and you're with someone you don't know, like, you know, don't be in the bed with them. Because I think the one thing that bothers me is that from when I threw up into the blanket bowl to waking up in the darkness there's a gap there that I I don't know about. Like, I don't know what happened to me in that space. And I guess that's what makes me very uncomfortable as well. And I feel like, you know, yeah, like if you are are those men and you are, like I said, with a strange person who is vulnerable, you know, try and make them feel less vulnerable, just look after them. And I guess that's like the whole point of my experience. Like I don't, like, I don't want people to feel sorry for me or feel pity or anything like that. I think it's more a case like I just want to be an example of, you know, what not to do in those circumstances. Yeah, and an example to call out the behaviour that should not be happening, I guess, as well. And it, um, it must be hard for you as well waking up without having woken up without clothes on. Um, like I would hope that there would be no photos or anything like that, but that would be must be something that – you know, in the aftermath that your brain is just going over and over. So I have um, a question as well. With with regard to um, the people that, that were in the room that, that assaulted you, have you ever reached out and spoken to them about that or have you ever considered going to the authorities about it? Um. I think this is where I hard tackle because I remember the guy messaged me, I think, a day or so after saying that, you know, he had he had a good time and he enjoyed our connection. Um, and I think like this was the point where I was kind of looking to move to London and he offered for me to move in with him. And I guess everything just fell very normal like normal 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 and I guess that just added to me like oh, okay this was just a drunk experience you're overreacting um yeah so I just went with it and like even I think like the main thing and obviously for especially for gay listeners to hear about this like the main thing that came after this is that you know I had to 
because like HIV is such a big thing, I had to like take a day of work to go to the hospital to get PEP. If you know what PEP is, yeah, it's is it the um, it's a an immunization almost, or um, maybe you explain it. Yeah, so it's um, so they say that after. It's about 72 hours if you think you've come in contact with HIV you can take PEP which is like a pre-exposure medication that you take over the course of 28 days and that would knock the virus off from taking a hold of your immune system um and so like so is it an oral it's an oral medication yeah so it's just a tablet you take every single day for 28 days and I remember the first two days I had terrible diarrhea and then my body came to terms with what I'm taking and it leveled out but I guess in that, like, that is also a symptom of what I had to deal with. Like, I had this experience I didn't want to happen. And then for 28 days, I still had to physically deal with it through medical means. Yes, definitely to protect yourself. Because yeah. obviously it sounds like they weren't using any protection or anything. No. So, and I was a bit concerned. And I think um, my best friend told me that um, I think one of the guys, both the guys are... Um, HIV positive but undetectable and at the time I, I didn't know too much about U equals U like you know undetectable equals untransmittable and but obviously I'm still in the worry because like even you know they, they could have just had HIV and not known about it and given it to me which is then another massive worry um, and it's like it's different like you know, I've always I've been in risky situations where you have taken those risks but they've been on my terms like where I've consented to take that risk um, but no, I mean, I've yeah, never, definitely. I haven't spoken to the guy in a couple of years. I think the last time we spoke was when he offered for me to move into his. Um, the other guy, he has messaged me a couple of times on Grinder to meet up. And I don't, I'm not sure if he even remembers who I am. Um, but I've just never, I've never responded. And I think like, you know, going over the story in my head, I just don't think it bears, from my point of view, there's, there's no wait to get any justice through the legal system um yeah. and in some regard i kind of wonder like do they even know what they have done like or did, did they think the whole thing was consensual and i think that's the thing i'm racking with because you know if if they didn't realize then they're not monsters they're just they were unaware they didn't they should have known a hell of a lot better and they didn't so i guess it's it's, it's that i'm kind of grappling with that you know i don't want them to be made up to be monsters because like i said when i finally said no and i wanted to get up they allowed me to get up they didn't force me they didn't stop me so there is that kind of gray area of what i want to do with that yeah, definitely. And it is, I mean, sexual assault can be a very gray area for a lot of reasons. And this is one of them. Um, and I think, you know, when we talk about even consent, so um, people pressuring people like, oh, come on, like, we'll just have fun kind of thing, you know, and then you do consent to having sex, does that actually still constitute assault because you've been pressured into it kind of thing? There, there are all you know, questions to ask. And I think a lot of people who perpetrate sexual offences are unknowingly doing so. And that's why it's so important to have these conversations so that we can let people know that this is not okay. Um, and it's not okay to do this in any way. You know, being drunk does not 
you know, it's not okay. And an absence of a no is not a yes. And I think that the yes needs to be there, even in, you know, role-playing, BDSM, Mm -hmm. there's still a consent before that starts. Yeah, I mean, obviously I my kind of mantra now because i know there was a very like no means no but i'm very much like a yes means yes like if you're not getting a yes then just take everything else as a no and you know i do this is a conversation i speak to a lot of my friends about um and that talk about a lot of my um gay manity page which has which started off as just being the gay humor and now i've kind of transgressed it into tackling more serious issues and sexual assault being one of the biggest issues like i would die on a hill for um and it is you know i, I think through a whole experience especially if you were going to be the dominant one, you do need to check in with the other person. And I think it is all about like, you know, just get confirmation from them because they could be feeling uncomfortable and they don't know how to say it. And perhaps you just saying, are you okay? Do you want to stop? Maybe that makes them feel better to then be able to say, yes, I want this to stop. Like I don't want this to go any further. And I guess for me, that's always been, um, because I think like for me, I'm normally a top when it comes to sex, but I've always made sure that, the person who I'm topping I do always keep continuously checking in with them and to make sure like you know if you want to stop at any moment you feel uncomfortable here's a checkpoint to just let me know that we can stop right now but then also it is paying attention to people's body language like if they're just laying there for me that's a red flag like they're not engaging with you if they're wincing if they're kind of trying to pull away you that's a language of saying no at the same time yeah, definitely. And I remember um, going on, on site, you know, for my job um, to do with COVID and teaching people about body language, just in the sense of if somebody takes a step back from you, what they're telling you is that you're standing too close. And it sounds very easy, but I think for a lot of people, these are cues that they're not used to picking up on. So it's a really good point. Um, you know, is the person that is that is, you know, you're having sex with, are they having fun? They enjoying this. Um, and in the absence of that as well, it's just like, just check in. And I had somebody say to me the other day, I don't want to ruin the mood. And I was like, um, you don't want to ruin the mood, but potentially assault somebody. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just a simple check-in, like you just said, is perfect. And if anything, that's going to make the mood better because you're going to be more comfortable. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've had that before. And I guess like there was one guy who I was sleeping with um, who didn't like, why do you keep saying if I'm okay? Like, and even he said, like, it, it kind of like kills the mood a little bit. I'm like, well, you know, I just want to make sure that you're having a good time, you're having fun. And then like, I just want to make sure that I'm giving you checkpoints to say, actually, can we make this stop? Because sometimes, you know, I've been in the position where, you know, I have been bottoming and to a degree, I've just kind of gripped my teeth and tried to get to the end. So it ends. Um I said, like, you know, if that kills the mood for you, then okay. But I'm making sure that I've done I've done right by you to ensure that you were okay and that I didn't do anything to harm you. Yeah, definitely. And I've been in that situation as well where you're kind of just laying there like hoping that it will stop, but not sure how to make it stop as well. So it's really good that you do do that. It's quite I think it's almost that feeling of like, you know, once you've started, you're like, can I just get this over with as opposed yeah. to being the person that stops it? Yeah, because I feel like in sometimes in a sense, especially like, you know, if you are the one who's going to be penetrated, normally it's the other person who's more jacked up. Not not an exact science, but normally that is the case. And you sometimes feel like, ah, 
now I need to commit and go through this because I talked a big game. Um, but then that's understanding, like, you know, you can take, you can withdraw your consent at any given time, like during, just before, or what have you. And I think that's, you know, people just need to be aware of that, that the consent resides with you, not in the moment. Yeah, definitely. And it can be withdrawn at any time. And I think, yeah, that's really, it's such a good mantra. I think what you just said before was really good. Um, it's not no means no, it's yes means yes. And I think that's a really good takeaway um, for sex and consent when we talk about it because um, that should be what you're after. It's not to, I'm going to keep going until I hear no, it's I'm only going to start when I hear yes. And that's the thing that you need to you need to make sure you do do that like you do look for the enthusiasm and you know the big yeses and all those kind of things and I, I think you know this is a very not that you know it's only men that do this but overwhelmingly it is men who are perpetuating this and I guess like this always feels like it's always a woman's burden to get this conversation out there to have this conversation but we need to get to a point where us as men we are holding other men accountable and we are having these conversations and like you know my friends like you know if i was to hear one of my friends had behaved inappropriately towards someone i would be having this conversation with them it's like i've just heard about you've done x y and z i'm holding you accountable for your your actions and i think this is what needs to happen more and um i remember like speaking to someone saying that you yourself hadn't had any men come forward to talk about their experiences and I guess like you know, men are a big part of this conversation. Like, things do happen to them, but they're also the biggest perpetrator. Yeah, definitely. And men are also less likely to come forward about sexual abuse. There is so much stigma, I think, associated with men who are assaulted. And then also the the volumes of it are very much lower. The 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 majority of these crimes um are well and truly perpetrated by men, definitely. And the victims are usually women. Um and I think it's just really important to me and I'm so grateful that you've come forward um, and spoken to me today about it, especially as well being a part of the gay community yourself and and just talking about these things openly. These are things that don't get spoken about and it's just a wonderful thing, I think, to open up about and normalise. And I think what you said was so, so true and so correct and representation in sexual violence from men is so important. I mean, I've got so many things that I put on my Instagram page and all of the girls comment yes or whatever, and they're really enthusiastic. And then a lot of my guy mates will, will personal message me and tell me they're, you know, how happy they are for me, but they would never share something Mm -hmm. or anything like that. And I, I don't know why that is. It's, um, it seems to be quite a difficult thing for, for men to get around this topic. I think it's a member I was speaking to about, and this is in a um, conversation about white supremacy and racism that, you know, a lot of white people, they don't want to admit to white privilege or to racism because it means that they're part of the problem and that they have to do something. And it's easier to do nothing than say something. And I think that's the same thing in this issue, that if men start talking about that there is an issue, that they are the problem, that means they have to do something. That means that indirectly they have to admit they're complicit in all of the things that go on all the things that happen to women and I as a man I'm going to take that responsibility I am part of this group so it is in some sense I feel there is a responsibility for me to talk to other men about these things because we are the problem we are the ones who 
do this to other people. We're the ones who are attacking women. We're attacking men. We're attacking children. So the buck stops with us and we have to rectify that. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me that, you know, I think a lot of positive change will come forward when more men start to speak to each other about the problem and and start to address it really um, seriously and call out their own mate's behaviour. Um, and I think that's right even if you don't identify potentially as somebody who's a perpetrator but you are a man, I guarantee you they would have at least every guy that I know would have friends that has done things that are inexplicable or wrong but let them go to the wayside because they don't want to be the person to call it out. Precisely. And I, I obviously want to make sure I add on to this bit <clears throat> that there is a one of my favourite comedians. His name is called Daniel Sloss and he's just done um, a new show on HBO called X um, where he actually talks about this conversation where like it's all comedy, comedy and then at the end of it it's very much a TED talk where he starts to call out men on this exact topic because like he says you know men will only really listen to men when we start talking about it and I, I kind of I'm happy now that it is more men are starting to come out and have this conversation and you know by being silent and you know you may not be the one who's doing this stuff but that doesn't mean you are part of the solution by being quiet by doing nothing like you not doing anything also is part of the problem and being silent you know, that's the side of the press that you have taken. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, And I did a talk on this the other day where I just said being neutral in situations where there is an imbalance is taking the side of the oppressor. And it's really important that we don't allow the people that are perpetrating these crimes to be protected by anybody. No, that's the thing. And we cannot protect them. And I, I guess that's the thing as well. We always, I think this is the image of like what does, a predator look like what does a rapist look like and they look like us they look like normal ordinary people and a lot of these people they have friends they have family and you know if you know your friend is behaving in a particular way there are red flags with the way your friend behaves don't ignore it like we and then there's a thing about men they they sometimes want to be a hero so they'd rather go beat up a rapist but they don't want to do much about preventing it. And I think that's the problem. Like, we don't want heroes. We want you to just prevent things. So if you see things out onto boards, act on it because you can actually prevent this happening to other women, to other men, to other children. And if you are the type of person who can only do things if it emotionally connects to you, then just kind of think of it. What if this person is around your sister or your mum or a cousin? Like if that's what it takes for you to do something about it. Yeah, definitely. Would you want this person to sleep next to somebody that you care at night? And if the answer is no, then you've got a responsibility here. Precisely. Like you, you need to take action. And I think the more men wake up to this and then more, you know, get to grips of it, then I think that's when perhaps things will start to change. But it, it's a slow burner at the moment because even sometimes, um, I mean, I follow more gay humor pages, but sometimes when I like follow more straight humor page and there's something that's posted that gives me that ick feeling that's kind of like this is kind of sexual objectification of women and i look through the comments and you know there'll be a couple of girls who are just like this is not good this is not okay and again it's just like men just like discount what they said they need to get a joke they need to stop being snowflake all this kind of stuff so there is still that environment that men are not taking women seriously yeah. And I think that's something that 
we experience a lot. Um, and I think it could be definitely broken down quite easily just by having these conversations as opposed to, and especially with a, with a man having the conversation as well. It's not just women who typically a lot of these people don't have much respect for. If it is coming from other men and having open conversations and not accus- accusatory conversations, you know, just having the court talk normally in a conversation, calling out shit comments, calling out shit behavior that we're really going to start to see change. Yeah. And I guess like in a lot of ways, we need more straight men to do this because I feel like sometimes if I do talk to a straight man about his behavior or just about the topic in a broad sense, my sexuality kind of discredits me as like is this like oh you don't understand because you're gay so maybe you don't have no interest in women and if you did have an interest you'll be on our side so i guess it's something that i have to tussle with like no i just know that this is not okay doesn't have anything to do with my sexuality so i think that's in some sense we do need more cisgendered straight men to come forward and have this conversation um but they're all because then you know there will be people who discredit them saying that like you're a simp you're weak you're under thumb those kind of things um but this is the warning sign people need to look for like people will always discredit you when you are on the right path yeah, well, you're, it doesn't matter what you say, you're always going to have haters. It doesn't matter. Like Mother Teresa herself would have had haters. So it doesn't, you know, if you're not making noise, you're not doing anything. <laughs> so exactly. I'm happy to, yeah, I'm happy to spice things up a little bit and get some arguments happening if it's what needs to happen for change to happen. But oh, thank you so much for, for for joining me and telling me your story. I'm I'm so sorry that that, that, that happened to you. Um, but thank you for sharing your story with me, um, and with the listeners. It's, it's, it's really wonderful to hear, um, to hear from you and to hear you speak so candidly about it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, um, your Instagram page, Gaymanity and, and what your plans are for it and what, what your plans are for the future? Yeah. So with my plan for Gaymanity, um, this like talking about sexual assault and sexual violence, um, especially from the smaller cases of, you know, having unsolicited unsolicited dick pictures sent to your nudes, um, straight up to like, you know, experience of actual physical violent rape. I talk about all those topics and I either will use a sense of humor with some of them, or sometimes it will just be a right out opinion or facts. Um but I'm in the point now where I, you know, there are so many gay meme pages out there for laughs and chuckles. And I was like, you know, I want people to deal with that. I want to take on board the sexual assault and violence that happens to people within the LGBTQ community. Because I know there are people out there who do it only for men, only for women. I want to do something for my community that I really care about. Um, so I'm just going in the transition of trying to get something out there so I can like speak to my audience and say, you know, this is where I want to go. I hope you support me. I hope you continue to follow me. But this is what I want to do because I want to make change. Um, and I currently work with a um, gay men's support group called um, Impulse, Impulse London, um, where I've spearheaded doing a consent campaign. Um, and this will be the same. It would be a series of five to six conversations talking about the different areas of consent. We've so far talked about consent online. And the next conversation we'll be having is about what can we do to hold our friends, peers and family accountable? Like, how do you hold other men accountable for their actions? Um, 
But what I'd really like to do in the future alongside my career is that I will like to help men locally on the ground, um, help them with their experience, um, help them to heal, help them to move past what ever happened to them. So that is what I would like to do in the future. And I hope that can kind of roll on to perhaps being engaged with things that are about prevention, because um, I would like this to be taken further into schools and universities and colleges that we are educating everyone not just men not just women but everyone educating them about consent um so that then you know we can reduce the numbers of victims because <clears throat> we'll never get to zero and that's the sad reality we'll never get to zero on this but if we can every year bring that number down of the amount of ones that are reported and obviously hopefully the ones that are unreported get reduced then you know we are doing a good thing and we'll be moving in the right direction yeah absolutely and i mirror everything that you just said and i mean we can hope for zero we can hope to remove this as a crime that we ever have to deal with again but the sad fact is that that's probably not going to be the case but the best thing that we can do um is to talk about it and to do all of those things that you're doing. So thank you for everything that you're doing for the community and how much hard work you're putting into it. You're going to personally yourself change a lot of people's lives. So I'm really grateful to have had you on and um, I'm going to share all of those, um, the links, so the links to your Instagram um, and the links to the consent campaign through Impulse London um, and anything else as well. If you've got any resources that you'd like to share, we'll pop them up in the show notes of this episode so that all of our listeners can access them if they need to um, and we can get some more um, England or UK-based resources up there as well. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And I'm, I really appreciate you having me on here because um, it's like the first time I've spoken outwardly about this experience beyond my friends um so i'd like to say thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to do that and for what you're doing because i think listening to your first podcast talk about your experience that gave me one of those huge nudges to take a more affirmative action to do more that's so wonderful to hear thank you so much and and i mirror that and i think it it takes a certain amount of strength to come forward and talk about it but when you're talking about it with another survivor as well there is a level that you're you're not as worried about it. So I can't thank you enough for sharing it with me. You spoke so succinctly and wonderfully. Nobody would ever know. You thought you'd told the story a million times before. Um, but I, I honestly can't thank you enough. And um, we'll definitely have to have you back on again um, to talk about all of the consent campaign that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. I would. I would love to do that and I'd love to share that with as many people as possible, whatever it does to help, to prevent, to heal. Wonderful. Thank you so much. So for now, we're signing off from Reclaim Me um, and next week we'll be back with a brand new episode. Thank you. Bye. This content may have been distressing or triggering for some listeners. In Australia, for national crisis support, please contact Lifeline on 131114. For more resources, please see the show notes for this episode.